So today we get to jump into a new series called Aligned, as you see there. And what we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks is aligning ourselves around some key priorities for us as a church. And you have homework to do, church, okay? So you're going to learn these five priorities over the next several weeks. But we're going to learn them together, okay? Uh, maybe you've heard some of this. I hope you have heard these things in different areas. Uh, but I want this to be ingrained in your head. And so we're going to go through each of them uh, one at a time. But we're also going to learn what all five of them are. So we've got a little cool little graphic we're going to put up there. And we're just going to go through this verbally together, starting with the bite. So it kind of goes invite, relate, apply, cultivate, challenge. Okay, in that order. So I want you to read these out loud with me. This is something we're going to do together because we say it out loud. We'll learn it a little bit better. So let's start with the first one. You ready? We invite others to Christ and to church. Number two, we relate to our community and culture. We apply the Bible to real life. We cultivate authentic relationships. And the last one, we challenge each other to deeper commitment. And that's the, the five things that we're going to talk about here over the next several weeks. And as we talk about the importance of alignment, we see the importance of alignment all over the place. You saw it this morning already, whether you realize it or not, because when you drove to church, you saw the importance of alignment. I mean, what would happen if the other people that you are driving next to on the street decided not to stay in their lane or that car that's coming at you at 50 miles an hour from the other direction? We stake our lives on the belief that, that we'll follow the rules of alignment, right? They'll stay on their side of the road, I'll stay on my side of the road, and everything will be good. Um, that's a good thing for what we are used to, but if you have traveled outside the United States, maybe some other countries, maybe you've experienced the fact that not everyone believes in alignment the same way that we do. In fact, uh, I've had the, the opportunity with some of the, the greatest experiences I've had have been uh, some mission trips that we've taken to Kenya and just love, love, love the country, love the people of Kenya. Uh, the transportation is, is a little bit different. In fact, where you, the way you normally get around when you're there is in these little, it's their version of a taxi. It's called a tuk-tuk. And a tuk-tuk is basically a glorified golf cart. That's what it is. Here we go. There we are. You can see there's not a lot of protection inside the tuk-tuk. And so it gets a little confusing. And especially if you ever go to a traffic circle, it's mass chaos. In fact, here's a video of us navigating a traffic circle, one of the scariest moments of my life. But just take a look here. Now you see why I believe in alignment, <laughs> among other things. And yeah, y'all gotta understand, I love, love, love the people of Kenya. Uh, I just don't love the fact that there's not a lot of, you know, order when it comes to being on the road. Call me a bratty Westerner, but I like my alignment, right? I like to know that I'm in my lane, you stay in your lane, and everything's going to be good. Uh, so you saw that driving to church, you saw it when you got here. I mean, can you imagine how chaotic it would be if when it was time to leave, you went out and everybody just kind of parked wherever they wanted to, you know, just different places all over. No, we have little lines. We park in our little lines and everything's good, right? You go to the coffee shop and you want to stand in line so that you can order something. Have you ever been to a place and you're not sure where the line starts? 
there's not a lot of structure. It's like this, I don't, I don't know what to do, right? I don't know where to, where to go, what to do. Uh, we are used to alignment all over the place. And I found something that was interesting on a website that's put out by the University of Houston. This is for those studying graphic design. And I found this quote really interesting. It says, without alignment, elements seem to have no sense of direction and they just fall apart. What is true of graphic design is true in most areas of our lives, and it certainly is true of churches. Without alignment, churches seem to have no sense of direction, and they just fall apart. And so the real question then is, where do we find our alignment? Around what do we align ourselves? And I think, I hope, the answer is clear. This is our source, right? This, this is what we look to, uh, to align ourselves. This is our, our blueprint, our instruction guide. Can you... Uh, imagine how chaotic it would be if people were trying to build a house and you have several different construction workers all working from a different set of blueprints. You're not going to be able to accomplish much. or, or do, You need to have something guiding you, right? So this is our guide. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to acknowledge the fact there's a lot in this book, right? And we'll get to that actually in a couple of weeks when we talk about applying the Bible to real life. That's two weeks from today. And we'll jump into that further um, but, but we've also ha- have just kind of come to the conclusion that it's helpful to identify a few key things based in Scripture that will help us as a church to align ourselves together. And we call those our five priorities. That's what we talked about. That's what we went over a minute ago. That's what I'll be preaching about uh, one at a time over the next several weeks. And I-, I do want to try to be clear about one thing because we have five priorities as a church but then there are four things that we ask the individual members of the church to do so the five priorities are more the overarching this is who we are this defines who we are as a church body the four things which are worship grow serve impact so come to church uh, plug into biblical community find a place to serve and then give to further God's work those are more individual discipleship things. These are things we do as individuals of the church. Uh, but then there are also these priorities that are more overarching. So I hope that, hope that makes sense. And we're going to jump into the first one today, which is we invite. We invite people to Christ and to church. And we're going to spend most of our time on the first part of that. Because, I'll tell you why. Because it's the more difficult one. And it's the one where we need to make more improvement. But we invite people both to Christ and to church. That's priority number one. And there are a lot of different places we could go in the scripture for this. But my favorite one is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I want you to open with me there, starting in verse 11. And the, the header for this section of my Bible is the ministry of reconciliation, which is amazing that God has entrusted this to us. This is what it says. Let's start with the first uh, I guess first five verses here, or, or starting at 11 through verse 15, it says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
I would say this passage, and we'll, we'll read a little bit more here in a moment, but it makes it incredibly clear that we should invite others to Christ. That's what we see Paul doing in this section of Scripture. And, uh, I mean, he uses words like, verse 11, since we know it is to fear the Lord, he says, we seek to persuade others. We try to persuade others. And let's just start there by being really clear and really um, just transparent. That's the goal. The goal for us as believers is to, to persuade others toward Christ. And we'll talk about why that's the case and a little bit of how that happens. But I think it's important for us to be very upfront and direct about that because that is frowned upon in our culture, right? This idea of I'm going to try to convince someone else to change their way of thinking or their religious beliefs in order to become a follower of Christ. Yes, that's what we're seeking to do. Now, we're not going to do it in a way that's obnoxious. We're not going to do it in a way that is, um, you know, not showing respect for other people and those kinds of things. Um, but there is a, a big difference, and, you know, we hear a lot about, in our culture, celebrating diversity of all different kinds, and one of those is diversity in religious beliefs. And we're told to celebrate the fact that different people have different spiritual beliefs, religious beliefs, and... We're supposed to celebrate that. And there's a big difference. I do want to be clear about this. There's a big difference between tolerating different religious beliefs and celebrating them. I am, have a very strong opinion about the fact that we have religious freedom in our country that although our, our country was founded on Christian principles, it was also founded on the principle of religious freedom. And so somebody should be able to worship as they choose in our country. That is part of, of the freedom that we have. And so we should tolerate that in the sense that we're not trying to force someone to believe a certain way or, or not giving them the freedom to exercise their faith. But there's a big difference between tolerating and celebrating, right? I can tolerate somebody else's different beliefs, but still in a loving and compassionate way still be very clear and very direct uh, about my goal is I want you to, to come to know Jesus um, I, I'm you know I'm not going to treat you with disrespect in any way but that's what we're after and I think it's really important that we um, that we establish that from the very beginning so it says since then we know what it is to fear the Lord we try to persuade others so why do we do that here's the first one it says because we know what it is to fear the Lord. And another way of under, uh, understanding what it's saying there, fear, not in the sense of you know, being afraid of, but in the sense of having great reverence for. So here's the, f the first main idea. We share Christ as an act of obedience to God. Because we have reverence for God, because we respect Him and revere Him, we seek to do what He tells us to do. In other words, this is an act of obedience. Now, don't check out on me because that's not all there is, okay? But that's where it starts. Parents, we have some parents here, some parents here with their, with their families. Um, do you ever have to, to uh, force your children to do something they don't want to do? That ever happen? <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes it does, right? Why do you do that? Do you do that because you're mean and because you're a horrible person? Oh, yes. Kids are like, yes, that's exactly what it is. Uh, well, you can have that conversation later. <laughs> no, you do that as a parent because sometimes you recognize something that's important and you recognize my, my, my child might not feel like 
doing this, but as a parent, I recognize that this is important for them, and so I'm going to force that, right? Now, if you live in a home where all there is is forced obedience, you live in a miserable home, right? That, that's, that shouldn't be all there is. It's not that way all the time, and if it is all the time, there's, there's something probably amiss there. But there are those times, and I think it's important to, to, to just say that, there are those times where we just have to say this is what we're going to do because it's an act of obedience just as we require that of our children. And it's not just a parent-child thing. If you have a job, I'm quite sure there are parts of your job that you have to do on a regular basis that you don't love, right? Might not be your favorite thing to do, but you just know this is part of it. This comes along with the territory, and sometimes we do those things. And so that can be a beginning place for sharing our faith. He says, because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. But if that's the ending place, if that's all there is, then it's probably going to be about like that home, that, you know, if it's just all forced obedience all the time, probably not going to be a lot of joy there uh, and a place that you really want to be. Um, there's more to it than that. In verse 14, explains what that is. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died here's the second main idea is that we share Christ as an expression of love Christ's love compels us we want to share Christ because we've come to know a love unlike anything that we've ever experienced before I mean when I think about what Jesus has done for me I want to share that with others Last Sunday, we were in Colossians 2, where it reminded us that we were dead in our sins. But Christ has made us alive. We've been made alive with Christ. Guys, that's my story. Because of my sin, I was spiritually dead. But God stepped into that through Christ and rescued me and pulled me out of that and brought life out of death. That's my story. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your story. And that's a story worth telling. It's a story about God's love for us, that he loves us that much to do that for us. And so this love of Christ compels us to share the good news. Now, the reason that, that, that I would say we should be compelled to share that story is because it's only through Christ that we can find spiritual life. Apart from him, we are, we're, we're out of luck. We have no hope. We're spiritually dead, and as I said last week, dead people can't bring themselves back to life again, right? So our only hope for forgiveness, our only hope for life is through Christ because he's the only one who became a sacrifice for us. He's the only one who gave his life in our place. And so that's a love beyond anything that we can comprehend. I mean, every other religion is all about doing enough good or religious things to be acceptable to God. Christianity is about the fact that we can never do enough good or religious things to be acceptable to God. That's why he came and took care of those requirements on our behalf through Christ. And so we share that story. It's the love of Christ that compels us. But it's not just the love of Christ and the, that he has for me, although that does and should compel me. And by the way, the more, uh, the closer I am in my, my relationship with God, the more I'm experiencing his love in a personal way the more active I am generally in sharing my faith. And that's generally how it works. But it's not just love in the sense of I, I have been loved by God, 
but it's also the fact that God loves other people. It's the love that, that God has for others that also compels us to share the good news. If our only motivation, as we said a moment ago, is to share out of obedience, I'm not sure how effective that's going to be. But if we're sharing because we've come to know the love of Christ, and if, if we can somehow experience the same love for people that God has for people, right? That, that's, a, that's an ongoing prayer for me. God, and I, because I need to do better in that area. But God, help me to love people the way you do. Help me to see people the way you do. I mean, if my heart breaks over the fact that people are separated from God, and on their way to an eternity without Him, the way God's heart breaks over that, that's going to motivate me to want to share the love of Christ with people. And so it's seeing them from that perspective. And, you know, I, I hate to admit this, and it sounds terrible to even say this out loud, but I don't care enough about the fact that people are separated from God and are on their way to an eternity in hell. I mean, that's the truth that I know that because that's what our sins deserve, right? Our sin separates us from God, and I know that to be true. So why am I not more motivated to tell them the good news in every single conversation that I have? It's the love of Christ and, and, and what he has done for us that should motivate us to share the good news. I, I'm sure many of you have heard a quote from Penn Gillette. He's, you know, Penn and Teller. You've probably heard this story before. Um, someone approached him after one of his shows. A Christian gave him a Bible with a handwritten note in it. And uh, he is known for being, he's a very outspoken atheist, but he speaks about the importance of proselytizing, which when you hear that term, that just means to seek to win someone to your faith, right? And he had a really powerful quote. In fact, I, I found a video of him saying it himself that I just want you to hear what an atheist had to say about this individual who was seeking to convert him to Christ. Let's take a look. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. It sounds to me like the atheist has a better handle on the importance of evangelism than most Christians do. How much do you have to hate someone, he says, to, if you really believe this, and I do, and I suspect that most of you do too, if we really believe that people are headed to an eternity without God, and we don't tell them, how much do you have to hate someone in order to do that? But then I look at what, what Paul did and what he said, and he said for him it's the love of Christ that compels him to want to share this good news. Is it socially awkward? He said, you know, sometimes we don't do that. Is it socially awkward to share the gospel? It could be. 
It can be. I mean, there are certain strategies and there are certain things that we can learn to make it less awkward, right? But the fact of the matter is that the message of the gospel is offensive to many. We shouldn't be offensive. The messenger shouldn't be offensive. But the message itself is offensive to many, and that's just kind of what we live with. Well, let's continue on, and one more thing. I want us to see the reward for um, why we share the gospel, why this is so important. Let's keep reading verse 16. It says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implored you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Last thing I, I want you to see today is this fact that God makes his appeal through us. That's what this passage of scripture is telling us. And, and when we see what, what can come, right? Verse 17, which is my favorite verse in the Bible, by the way, because it is my story. That if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Old is gone, the new has come. That's, that's what we can look forward to. That, that's our desire. That's our motivation for sharing the gospel. That's why we want God to make his appeal through us. Because we know what he's done in our lives. We know what he can do in other people's lives. And so for those that don't know Christ in a personal way, I would say my desire is I want you to experience the same level of of forgiveness and being a new creation and the old being gone and the new coming that's what I want for you just as I've experienced that for myself that's our motivation that's why we share it's not for any you know uh, there, there's not a hidden agenda here you know we're not trying to count how many people how many converts we've made our goal is we want people to to come to know him now how do you go about doing that and this is where it gets a little bit challenging and and some, and I've heard people uh, kind of use this before, this is their philosophy, maybe you've heard this phrase before, uh, always preach the gospel and when necessary use words. Have you ever heard that before? That is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. There are a couple of problems with this quote. Number one, there's really no evidence that St. Francis ever said this. And more importantly, number two, it's biblically inaccurate. What we see here in this passage is Paul speaking the gospel. Now, I understand the heart behind it. I think the, the point is this, that you can't, you have to practice what you preach. That's the point, right? You have to live out the gospel in order for people to listen to what you have to say. But we don't preach through our, the way we live. The way we live might give, might authenticate what we say. But it's not enough. I mean, I look at passages like the one that we're in, and I see him, you know, saying things like, I implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. I mean, that's, that's not just living it in front of him. That's also sharing the good news. 
And when it says things like God will make his appeal through us, it's a little bit more uncomfortable to speak sometimes than it is to say, I'll let my lifestyle be my, my, my uh, message, but we need to do it. And frankly, I, our church isn't where we need to be when it comes to sharing the gospel. Uh, I think we've you know, made some strides forward, but I just have to tell you, and I want you to, to, to hear that from me and to know that my heart for myself, I'm not where I want to be when it comes to sharing the gospel, but our church needs to take steps in being bolder when it comes to sharing our faith. And so that's why this is one of those five priorities, is that we invite people to Christ and to church. And, and let's just spend the last few minutes, I told you we'd spend most of our time talking about inviting people to Christ, but I do want to spend a few minutes talking about that too, because that can be an important supplement, not to take the place of inviting people to Christ, but to supplement that, to invite people to church. If you look through the Bible, you're never going to find a verse that says invite people to church. But you're going to see that type of thing lived out, right? And again, it's, it's important for us to remember what we're talking about when we're talking about the church. The church is not a building. And so in, in New Testament days, they didn't have a structure like this where they would invite people to meet there at that church as it may be called uh, that's not how it worked they met in homes they gathered together they maybe met in public places and things like that um, but it was more about an invitation to community and so that's why it says in in Hebrews 10 25 where it talks about do not forsake meeting together and you know they would assemble together they would have meals together Acts chapter 2 you know they're praying together they're studying the apostles teaching together all those kinds of things so that's what church looked like. And then you see in Matthew 28 where Jesus gives what we now call the Great Commission of uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is the discipleship process. You know, and win them to Christ, baptizing them, and then help them grow up in their faith. How do you do that? Well, it happens through, through the church, through the people. Because again, remember... Church is the people that, that make it up. And so we see that in the book of Acts where people are coming together and it even says things like the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. How did he add to their number daily? It doesn't say this specifically, but I'm quite confident that many of those were added because people invited, right? They brought people with them. They, they brought them into this biblical community and you know they would gather together for the purpose of encouraging each other and helping each other grow. But as they gathered, they would also seek to bring others in. That's exactly what we should be doing. As a church, we gather together regularly. Sunday mornings, we, we have our, our connect groups that we're a part of and different you know, ministries that, that we're a part of. And so we come so that we can be built up and we can be fed. Bring somebody with you. We invite. We, we want others to experience what we are experiencing. And by the way, let me just, while, while we're saying that, just as a quick aside here, the fact that, that the church is all about the people and the relationships that we have, that's why it's so important for us to gather together. I'm thankful that we have an opportunity for people to connect when they're not able to be here in person. And maybe many are, right now are watching online and that kind of thing. Um, that's a great supplement if you're, if you're sick, you're not able to be here, there's something keeping you, you know, from being with the people you're traveling or whatever it may be. But it's a terrible substitute for a long-term solution. We need to be together. 
as the people of God because that's how we grow together. That's how we encourage one another. And I would encourage you, make that a priority to be together whenever we possibly can. And when we come together, we invite other people to join us. I hope, church family, that you share my heart in this. I, I want to see our church continue to grow. I want to see us continue to reach people. And here's why. Because there are a lot of people right around us here and around where we live that either don't have a relationship with Christ and it's an opportunity for us to share the gospel and bring them into biblical community, or they know Christ but they're not plugged into a church body. There are thousands, tens of thousands of people within our reach. So that's why we seek to grow. As long as there are people out there that, that don't have that, we need to continue to have that as a main priority. We want to see people come and get connected to the body of Christ. Now, let me, let me end with a cool story that was encouraging to me. Uh, last weekend, on Saturday, so the day before Easter, Sean and I decided we finally were going to go wash our cars. I don't know about you, but our cars were awful. I mean, I don't know what the stuff is that's been out in the air, but it's, it's horrible, right? So we finally went to wash our cars, and we went to one of the places where you can use the vacuums. You know, that's kind of the motivation to go do it there. And so both of us had our cars. I went one, one side. Sean went to the other side. I'm vacuuming out my car. She's over there. And I noticed as I went over there, there was a lady next to her, and she had her music just thumping. You know, I mean, it was just really blaring. So they're having a good time over there cleaning. And it was day before Easter, and, you know, we'd been carrying around the Gateway Easter invite cards that we had, just looking for opportunities and praying God show us, you know, who we can invite to church, right? And she's thinking, here's this lady next to me, and maybe I can invite her to church, but I don't want it to be totally awkward. Going back to what we said earlier, right? We worry about those things. We all do. And just kind of praying, okay, God, open the door. And the song, Take Me to Church, comes on the radio. Now, if you know that song, you know it has absolutely nothing to do with going to church, right? But Sean's like, why not? You know, I'll just jump right in. And so she makes a joke about, you know, the song says, Take Me to Church. I'd like to invite you to come to Easter service with us tomorrow. And they were kind of laughing about it. But, and this lady's name was Erin. And here's what Erin said. And when Sean was telling me the story, I was like, that, I was so encouraged by this. She told her who we were, and she said, are you the church that's up on Country Club? She said, yeah, yeah, that's us. And Aaron said, I have had more people from your church invite me to come. You all are the most welcoming people. Now, as far as I know, Aaron's never stepped foot in our church. But her perception is, you all are so welcoming because she keeps getting invited. Gateway family, that's a bullseye to me. That, that's a win. That's, that, that to me is like, let's celebrate that. that. Good job. And keep it up. But let me also remind you, that's not enough. Okay? It's great that we invite people to church. But we need to invite them to Christ. We are, it says, Christ's ambassadors. If God's going to make his appeal, he's going to do it through us. So yes, let's invite people to church, but let's make sure that we are boldly sharing this good news of the gospel as well. All right, let's pray together. Father, um, give us courage, and I do pray for myself as well as for the Gateway family, and really all churches in this area. You blessed us in a community with great churches. Help your people to be bold in sharing the good news. And Lord, um, I pray that those that don't know you would come to know you through your people lovingly sharing that gospel. 
So give us opportunities even this week to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.